Welcome to the Cookery by the Book podcast with Susie Chase. She's just a home cook in New York City, sitting at her dining room table, talking to cookbook authors. My name is Jack Bishop, and my cookbook is Tasting Italy, A Culinary Journey. You're the chief creative officer of America's Test Kitchen. Now, how did the collaboration between America's Test Kitchen and National Geographic come together for Tasting Italy? So editors were just chatting, believe it or not, at a publishing conference. Um, We thought, wow, as we were talking, if we teamed up National Geographic and America's Test Kitchen, we could create a unique book. So you think about National Geographic, photographs, maps, uh, travel essays to take you there, and then to be able to then bring Italy to life in your own kitchen with recipes from America's Test Kitchen, it seemed like a really unique way of bringing the cuisine of Italy to life in a book. The beautiful photographs in this cookbook really transport us to Italy. Talk to me about your relationship with Italy and its food. So I have a um, very long relationship with Italy. It began as a child. My Italian grandmother, uh, who is the most uh, talented home cook I ever ever knew, um, so I grew up eating a lot of Italian food, Sunday suppers. Uh, I t- lived in Italy when I was um, in my early twenties. I've traveled throughout Italy, and so uh, can we just say? They had the best food on the planet in Italy, at least in my opinion. Uh, so the book is also just a personal um, passion because uh, the food of Italy is really tremendously different than what we think. I still recall my first trip to Italy. I'd taken an overnight train from Germany and got off uh, the train in Florence and went to the first restaurant, and there was nothing recognizable. None of the dishes that my grandmother had made were on the menu, which uh, makes sense once you think about it, which is that my grandmother's relatives were born in Calabria in the South. Uh, Like many of the immigrants who came to the U.S., they came from the South, and they brought that cuisine with them. And the rest of Italy has very different uh, dishes. The climate's different, the geography, the history. Um, and so the cuisine is different. And so the food of Florence is very, very different than the flu- food of Calabria. How did you figure out the recipes for this cookbook? Did the locations dictate the recipes? Yes. Yeah, so we decided that we were going to structure the book in three large areas, northern Italy, central Italy, and southern Italy. And then within each of those, do a chapter on each of the administrative regions in Italy. So they're kind of the equivalent of a state in the United States. So Tuscany would be an administrative region, which is the area where Florence is. Uh, and so for each chapter, uh, you begin with an essay and photographs that brings you there, tells you about the history, uh, the the topography, the major ingredients, the food traditions. And then we selected what we thought were the distinctive regional dishes. Now, that was really hard. We ended up um, with 100 recipes. The originalist had 400 recipes. And so we really had to pare it down and say, okay, what are the dishes that really define the Veneto or Liguria or Sicily? And so 
So most of the sections of the book have five or six recipes that really give you a taste of the unique, authentic local cuisine. Some of them are dishes that will be familiar to Americans. So in the Lazio chapter where Rome is from, you see spaghetti carbonara which is a classic Roman dish. But a lot of these recipes are things that, frankly, I had never seen because I'd never been to the, that particular part of Italy, and so I wasn't familiar with the dish. So this cookbook is structured from north to south. Let's start off with northern Italy. The one word in the book you used to describe the food of Italy's northern region was rich. Why the word rich? So the climate in the north is more like the climate perhaps in um, the northern United States. You know, it's cold and snowy. Um, I think of maybe the the Great Plains. And then in the summer, um, it's very fertile. And so there's a lot of uh, dairy, a lot of cattle. So there's a lot of cheese. Um, The fresh pasta is made with eggs. Uh, The influences are really Germanic or Austrian perhaps in a, um, as a way of describing it. So you see dishes with Savoy cabbage, with speck, which is the German ham, uh, and that it is done in an Italian way, but it is a very rich, hearty cuisine and that when you get to the far north, you know, you're in the Alps. And so it is hearty cuisine um, that makes sense in that cold weather. And so uh, buckwheat, polenta, Uh, They're used uh, throughout this region, and it is uh, in many ways probably the most undiscovered uh, part of Italy for many Americans because this cuisine isn't that well-known in the United States, isn't really well-represented, and there aren't – most Americans don't end up going to this part of Italy. And so lots and lots to discover in northern Italy. So moving on to Central Italy, the most significant influence on foods in Central Italy comes from the Etruscans. Talk a bit about them and the influences on the cuisine. So this is the region that sort of spans from Florence to Siena, um, uh, you know, further south down towards towards Rome. And this is probably the... um, Uh, for Americans who've traveled to Italy, the region that they probably spent the most time in. Um, The interesting thing here is how many of these dishes really have their roots in um, the Middle Ages or earlier. And so one of the great shifts in Italian cuisine occurred in the 1500s after Christopher Columbus's voyages to the New World. And all of these ingredients that came back to Italy and then influenced the cuisine. So, for instance, tomatoes didn't exist in Italy uh, until roughly 1500. Um, And so older dishes uh, that have their roots in Etruscan culture, which is really uh, from uh, nearly uh, 1500 years ago, uh, 2000 years ago, uh, don't have tomatoes. They're spices. They're beans. They're um, lots and lots of ancient grains that end up influencing the local cuisine. Almost every part of Italy grows olives, but a few locales are famous for the aromatic, rich, extra virgin olive oil. Tell me about Luca's liquid gold. Yeah, so Luca is in Tuscany. And, you know, I would say Tuscany and Umbria, which is the region just to the south, make my favorite extra virgin olive oils. Um, They're uh, often very green and peppery. Um, They're big, bold, exciting olive oils. Um, There are a lot of small farms. 
which uh, means that they're growing the olives, pressing the olives and bottling the olives all on site, which is really the key to uh, a premium extra virgin olive oil, that it is a boutique product rather than uh, the semi-industrial product of a lot of the extra virgin olive oils that end up at the supermarket where they're mixing oils from, it could be a dozen different countries, uh, and it's a commodity. They're really choosing oils based on price. And that in um, Tuscany, and in particular in uh, the Luca region, they're just some of the most beautiful uh, olive oils that are made on the planet. They've been growing olives in Italy for centuries and centuries, and they make amazing oils. Now, Samin Nosrat has her new Netflix show, and the fat episode was totally focused on olive oil in Italy. Does that surprise you that she chose olive oil over butter for her fat episode? Well, uh, no. Let's say this. First of all, olive oil is 100% fat. You know, butter is fat and water. Um, It's not that I don't love butter, but I think olive oil has way more flavor. And, you know, you think about the cuisines of the entire Mediterranean basin, uh, not just Italy, but Spain, Greece, uh, the Eastern Turkey, uh, North Africa. Olive oil is the fat of choice, and those cuisines are remarkably diverse and fabulous. And southern France, the, it is olive oil. And so um, I think it is the fat of choice in my home. Uh, and certainly in most parts of Italy, it is the, the primary fat that is used in the kitchen. Now on to southern Italy and the islands. The air is hotter, the conversation is hotter, and the cooking is hotter. The three pillars of southern Italy's diet are oil, wine, and grain. Talk a little bit about that. The climate is really more like it is in perhaps North Africa. So it's hot and sunny. Uh, It is wonderful for uh, growing uh, olives. Uh, So there is a lot of oil um, that is produced in southern Italy. Um, It's more rocky, uh, so hilly, mountainous uh, in places, uh, not great for cattle. So there really isn't a whole lot of dairy and certainly not a lot of butter and not really a lot of cheese uh, in this, in this region. Um, so it is the sunny South, the land of olive oil. It is also where a lot of grains come from. Sicily has an amazing tradition of growing, uh, wheat, a lot of ancient varieties of wheat that we aren't that familiar with. And so, um, it's the agriculture there is, uh, it's hard scrabble, but it is diverse and um, quite different than in central or northern Italy. Despite the wealth of food in southern Italy, poverty has been persistent, even after the foundation of the Italian nation the South was neglected, leading to emigrants to form Little Italy's all over the United States. So as many of these Italian restaurants in various Little Italy's cropped up, um, they put things on their menu that you'd never see in Italy, like garlic bread, fettuccine Alfredo, or Caesar salad. How did that happen? Yeah, it's funny. You, know, you, you can't find spaghetti meatballs in Italy. I mean, it's not, they make meatballs, but they usually don't serve them on spaghetti. Um, so a couple of things happened. So um, people who emigrated from uh, southern Italy, so Naples, Calabria, um, Puglia, Sicily, were generally leaving because of poverty. They were hungry. 
Um, and while they brought their traditions with them, suddenly in the um, United States, there was a wealth of ingredients. So there was much more affluence. Uh, meat, which was scarce, was plentiful. Um, many of the immigrants went from being quite poor to, in the matter of a generation or sometimes less, being fairly affluent. And so there was the ability to afford things that they couldn't afford, or, and the availability of ingredients was different. And so, um, for instance, many of the uh, cheeses of the traditional cheeses, which would have been sheep's milk cheeses of southern Italy, uh, 125 years ago, when my relatives emigrated from Italy, you couldn't really find them here. And so there were substitutions. And so the fact that the ingredients were different in the United States and suddenly uh, the level of affluence had changed, meant that the cuisine changed. And so you got things like the Sunday supper that my grandmother would prepare, which is a very traditional Italian-American um, celebration with pasta and meatballs and braised sausages and brujol. Uh They don't really eat that way in southern Italy even today. Calabria. The rugged toe of Italy's boot is Italy's poorest region, but finds respite in the joys of food. Bread has been the antidote for hunger for centuries. Describe the filling Calabria dish called Merzdu. Yeah, so it's amazing what they're able to do with bread in Italy. I mean, leftover bread gets, uh, you know, recycled in many, many different ways. Um, so for instance, you know, bread salad in Tuscany um, gets uh, uh, created from basically something that we would throw out in the United States, which was stale bread and rehydrated with um, tomatoes and um, vinegar. Um, you know, in the, in the South, um, you know, there's a lot of flatbreads um, and Calabria. So they're more what we would call probably pizzas. Um, uh, in the sense that they are um, lightly topped, uh, perhaps with some tomatoes, some chilies. They love their chilies in Calabria. Um, and they might sometimes be folded um, and filled, more like uh, what we would think of here as a, a calzone. Why does the tomato salad taste so extraordinary in Capri? The climate is great. Um, the volcanic soil has something to do with it. The fact that it's a local tomato, you know, the tomatoes that we generally eat most of the year in the United States are grown far, far away. Um, and, you know, tomatoes don't really do well with travel. And so it is, um, I think, mostly about the climate and the fact that they are local tomatoes grown and enjoyed um, in, within one region. Now to my segment called My Last Meal. If you had to place an order for your last supper on earth, what would it be? I think I want my grandmother's lasagna. Uh, she made this beautiful lasagna. It was a tomato-based lasagna that had teeny little meatballs tucked between the layers um, with a lot of ricotta cheese um, uh, and uh, parmigiano. And it just... Uh, you know, I make it once a year, and the smell of lasagna takes me back, you know, 50 years, 45 years, and I'm a kid again sitting on a stool in my grandmother's kitchen. Um, and it's just an amazing way to sort of bring family history back to life. Where can we find you on the web and social media? So we're at americastestkitchen.com. 
You can come to our website and learn more about what we do here at America's Test Kitchen. You can learn more about Tasting Italy. Uh, you can also follow us on Instagram, our Facebook pages, um, and see the work that I do and my colleagues here do on America's Test Kitchen. You can also watch our shows on public television. Uh, America's Test Kitchen and Cook's Country are both shown on stations all around the country. Wonderful. Thanks, Jack, for talking Italy with me today. And thanks for coming on Cookery by the Book podcast. Thanks, Susie. You have a great day. Subscribe in Apple Podcasts. And while you're there, please take a moment to rate and review Cookery by the Book. You can also follow me on Instagram at Cookery by the Book. Twitter is I am Susie Chase. And download your kitchen mixtapes, music to cook by on Spotify at Cookery by the Book. Thanks for listening. 